Hey everyone, welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. Once again, I'm your host, John Harris. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit uh, today about a book called Critical Race Theory and the Church, which actually just came out. I got uh, one of my copies. I have two copies now, but I got uh, one of them today, and I noticed it was just released on Kindle by Larry Ball, who is a Presbyterian pastor in uh, Kingsport, Tennessee at Bridwell Heights Presbyterian Church. Um, before we get to that, though, I just wanted to make one quick announcement. This weekend, uh, if you live in the Austin, Texas area, uh, you're going to want to come out to the conference uh, that uh, that I'm going to be at. Uh, actually, it's myself, it's A.D. Robles, it's Pastor Joel Webin. And the easiest way probably to find it, because there is a sign up for it, it's free, you don't have to pay anything, but uh, they do want to get somewhat of a head count. Probably the easiest way to do that is just to go to my website, worldviewconversation.com. And then you can go to the tab that says speaking. And that'll take you to the list of all places I'll be in the next two weeks. And uh, there is a website right there, rightresponseministries.com. And then it has the link events, free mini conference. And that's right outside of Austin in Taylor, Texas, March 12th. And it's in the afternoon. Look forward to seeing you there. I will be preaching uh, the next day in Georgetown, Texas, right outside of Austin at Covenant Bible Church. So uh, that's that's another, you know, some of you might come out for both or, or if you can't make Saturday, then love to see you Sunday. And uh, then for those in the Nampa, Idaho area, right outside of Boise, March 18th and 19th, I'll be at the Rocky Mountain Biblical Worldview Conference. And March 20th, I'll be at the Truth Family Bible Church. So just wanted to make everyone aware of that. Uh, if you live in Idaho, if you live in Texas, it's not like I get to those places very often. In fact, I just added April 8th, San Diego. So you, you might want to check that out. I'm, I'm going to a lot of different places, and uh, some of these places do require an email or, or signing up. So I uh, just wanted to get, get through that order of business for everyone. Uh, with that, let's, let's get into this book because, it's as you can see, it's pretty thin. It's, it's uh, very basic. But uh, it's, I think, really informative, and, and there's some things I really like about it. So we have the author with us, uh, Pastor Larry Ball. Pastor, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Uh, so I, I'm just going to say real quick the things that I really like about this. Number one, it is short, and people's attention spans, as you pointed out in the introduction, are very short today. So uh, most people don't want to go read Robin D'Angelo or, for that matter, more academic works like Derek Bell to try to figure out what critical race theory is. They just want to know, just like, give me the, the in a nutshell concept that, and that's kind of what you do. You don't go into all the scholarly stuff. It's not an academic work necessarily. It, it's very much from the heart of a pastor. And you just give kind of in a nutshell, you break down the complex, make it simple. Here's the definition. And then here's what the Bible says. So I appreciate that about it. Um, the other thing I appreciate is that you don't shy away from taking to task really all the aspects of critical race theory that are concerning, or at least most of them, I'd say. And, and ones that specifically I'm saying are left unmentioned or uh, or those who are against critical race theory seem to want to agree with, like race being a social construct. You have a whole section kind of tearing that idea apart. So I appreciate that as well. And, and you end on an up note. So, um, so I just want to ask you first, you know, what inspired you with all the other books out there on this, right, that are being written? Why did you feel compelled to write this? Well, there's several good books out there, and I've read um, probably three, four, five different ones. I read your book. I read Bodie Bachman on Thought Lines, and I read a little book called, uh, that's, this has been at least a year ago, 
Social Justice and Its Dangers by Doug Enick. Very, very small, much smaller than my book. Um, and um, they're all very good. I, I think they're detailed and, and they give uh, uh, a background on what's happening with different people and the, um, and the movement and how they're shifting. Uh, and, and I felt like that uh, there was number two things. There was something that was needed for uh, the man in the pew, that, which as a pastor, I feel like that's where my strength is, is taking, uh, reading the books that other people don't read and then uh, taking that information to them. And also coming from a conservative Presbyterian background, you might say Calvinist reformed and so forth, um, being raised in the, um, uh, after uh, well, sitting under men like Dr. Van Teel at Westminster Seminary and being a follower, a, a reader of um, R.J. Rushduni, I just felt like there were some missing links, some things that should be said that weren't being said. And so th those are two reasons, but, and, and I would really mention a third, which might seem unusual is that I have um, nine grandchildren and <clears throat> I really believe that one of the most important things I can do in terms of what I believe is the covenant responsibility is leave a legacy for my children and my grandchildren that when I'm gone, they can pick up these books and read them and say, that was my daddy, or that was my grandfather, or that was my great-grandfather. And so I'm really writing as much to, um, to my children and my grandchildren and hopefully my great-grandchildren as much as I am simply trying to have an impact uh, in the church. Did, I don't know if I misheard what you just said. That's great. Uh, did you say you sat under uh, Cornelius Van Til? Yes, I was. At oh, West wow. <laughs> 1969. I was uh, doing the math in my head and I, and I, I was like that because John MacArthur, I think, had talked about that. He, he had seen, you know, him lecture. And um, but that's pretty amazing, uh, to be honest with you. So, wow. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, I sat under Dr. Van Til. And of course, we had the. Um, uh, actually, uh, John Murray was uh, retired, but he came back to the seminary while I was there and gave some lectures, and I was able to meet him and to uh, listen to him speak. I was a freshman that year, and um, someone asked me what I thought after his lecture, and my response was, well, to be honest, I didn't understand a word he said. <laughs> At that point in my life, I was just a beginner. As Dr. Antill used to divide his classes into two types, he called the bunnies and the giraffes. Uh, there were giraffes who had studied uh, theology at places like Harvard and uh, Oxford and Yale and so forth. And then there were men like me coming from Appalachia uh, who really knew very little. Uh, he considered a bunny. And, but uh, after sitting under him for a year, um, having majored in mathematics in college, I was very drawn to his presuppositional type of uh, apologetics. And so, yes, I did have the privilege of sitting under him. And uh, also, um, Jay Adams was there when I was there as, uh, as a teacher. 
Um, I, and later on, I, I was too, uh, Greg Bonson was a student there when I was there. So it was quite a, quite an wow. unusual time. Yeah, the, I, I wonder. Seminary. Yeah, if they were around today, I wonder what they would think. <laughs> of everything that's happening, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Too. Yes, yeah, it, it, it's, I mean, maybe they'd say I told you so on something. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I marked down a few things in the book that I thought would be uh, information, just just fun and just informative to ask you about. Um, so let's see, you, you talk about uh, you, you really spend some time talking about uh, inequity and equality. I think you do a pretty good job explaining equality before the law versus these, you know, egalitarian equality. But you don't I don't even know if you use the word egalitarian. You're you really um, it, this is written for the common man. And so you really just. Uh, explain the, the bad kind of equality. And, and the first thing you uh, cite, and I, I've thought this before, I've never seen anyone write it down, but I've had this thought so many times when uh, Satan tries to tempt Eve and say, you'll be like God. And I, I've thought before, I'm like, was that the first, like, is that where this all really traces back to ultimately <laughs> this, this egalitarian, let's flatline everything. And, and it's just a yeah. way to bring man up to the, because now we're, we're choosing our own genders, right? We're, we're tampering with creation, we think. Uh, I mean, it, what do you think? Is that the first social justice warrior, Satan? Or <laughs> Definitely so. I, I really believe that. Uh, I think that was, as I say in the book, that was an attempt to be equal with God. And um, so that and equality, as I explained in the book, is not always sinful because in the Trinity there is equality. And, and um, but I think the uh, in the Garden there was the attempt to um, to be equal with God, and I think that's basically where it all began. Um, uh, and there's a, such a thing that I mentioned in the book as inequality, which is uh, which is a good thing. Diversity in the Trinity uh, there is diversity in the uh, the jobs or the uh, functions that they have. And so you in the Trinity, you have both uh, equality and inequality, and they're both a good thing in that in that context. And I think probably that kind of thinking, and I felt like I needed to go back to the Trinity uh, and creation, but that kind of thinking probably comes out of um, Dr. Van Teel and also probably uh, out of Dr. Rushdoony, who wrote a book on the one and the many, I think, and um, uh, tried to show how there is diversity and there's unity, and and that's kind of the most theological part of the book, in a way, right. that I tried to go back to the very source of the whole um, equality movement and um, show how it um, finds its origins in a good sense, in in the uh, in the Trinity, but it, it in a bad sense in the fall in the Garden of Eden. Yeah, it's very much against design, the created order, even natural relationships to, wants to remake things and 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 often go now, especially to forbidden territory that God has not uh, um, ordained. Uh, you you on that note, you kind of you do something that's actually forbidden in today's. You couldn't like have an academic press ever publish something like this, but uh, you, you try to redeem white privilege in a way, or maybe better put, you uh, you ground white privilege in something different. Uh, would you explain that to everyone? Because that I, that perked my ears perked up when I saw that because I was like, 
oh, wow. You know, usually you hear people, they're arguing against there is no white privilege or something, but you're like, yeah, there is, but it's not attributed to what critical race theorists are attributing it to. Right. Um, I think that may be a little unique with my book because usually every time you hear white privilege in the anti-critical race theory camp, uh, usually it's uh, understood in a negative way. But I think just looking at history and um, there is such a thing as white privilege. I, I have no problem with that. Um, and and uh, again, studying studying history, we, we go back to the founding of our country uh, was basically founded by um, uh, Englishmen um, and uh, who spoke English, uh, who had been very educated in England. Um, and it even goes back before the foundation of the country, and I think I say that in the book, it goes back to uh, to Europe. Uh, and I asked the question, why why was Europe so much more advanced than other continents, for example, Africa or even Asia? And and that's I explain that in the book. I always have to get to the root of issues. I I get that from my mathematics training in college. Um, always asking why, you know, where does this come from? And uh, when you study history, you, you just, or study Western history or, or history since the fall, I guess, that you see that um, God providentially uh, blessed uh, Europe, uh, even um, from uh, early times, I would say even, even into the, from the dark ages on. Uh, and then the question, uh, is why. And um, as a Presbyterian, I have to go back to the old explanation of why is predestination something uh, we believe in, and it's uh, God predestines and uh, providentially brings things about, not because he sees some people are better than other people. We're all equally sinners before God, and that includes nations. I would I make that try to make that point in the book. Um, and so God had grace on Europe, uh, and um, for no other reason because He chose to do so. Uh, that's the old Reformed answer to why did God choose some and not others? And the uh, the answer is well, uh, He He shouldn't have chosen anybody but that he did choose to uh, follow through Europe and give them uh, the blessing that they had in education and culture and eventually in all the other areas. Uh, right. it, it can only be seen as something by the grace of God and not because any people is any better than anybody else. And so that history brings about white privilege, uh, which, uh, Whites, as they, the white nations, uh, as they came to America, came as very educated and very often very godly people. And that did not happen with other continents. And yeah, it, so there is white privilege, in my opinion. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, concept because, number one, it'll get you canceled. <laughs> did probably <laughs> say that. Uh, but there's um, there's some truth. I think it's just an obvious truth to most people that Europe was technologically more advanced during the age of exploration. 
They had, uh, in many ways, a higher civilization as far as, you know, their developments in music and in uh, manners and, you know, propriety. Just you know, there, there's a lot of other probably things that could be pointed to architecture. Just they, they had a civilization that was more advanced. Right. And, yes. and, and so if, if you follow what happened from the Roman Empire forward as Christianity, you know, Paul's missionary journeys were in Europe. Right. Christianity is dominating. Uh, it dominated in Europe uh, that you identify that as the uh, relevant fact that contributed to this. And so you're not, th this is the thing that people need to hear loud and clear is that you, you're not saying that there's some kind of genetic determinism, something about white people that's superior, not even close. What you're saying is that uh, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And for centuries, Europeans in general followed principles that would be more in keeping with the book of Proverbs. They had a respect for uh, God in, in some way. And, um, and that may be changing now. And it is changing quite a bit. Yeah, but, but that this did bless the people who were who inherited that tradition and uh, the wealth that was stored up and it, all the rest of it. So, uh, I mean, I don't know how you really argue with that, but um, I, I know that the way that critical race theorists, when they talk about white privilege, they talk about it as something that is uniquely given to white people. It can't, you know, it's not like what you're saying where this could be, anyone could, you know, become a Christian and practice biblical mm -hmm. principles. You know, they, they think this is like unique to only people with, uh, who, who are white and, uh, and, and they of course see it as the result of, of thievery and stealing manipulation, oppression. Um, and so I, I just, you know, I, I, I have to still think about that a little bit, you know, like how, how rhetorically effective is that? But I, I can see that being in a debate or something where someone, you have white privilege saying, yeah, but you know, it's only the grace of God that, you know, or, yeah. You know, my, my, I was raised in a family that, you know, honored Christ and, and we have a heritage going back, you know, and not all white people have that, obviously, but right, um, right. it's an interesting concept. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so that's one of the things I thought was kind of unique about your take on this. Uh, one of the things that uh, I, it really makes your book unique is and I'll just quote from you. Uh, you say, I've become convinced that sometimes good men get it wrong. And you're talking about other books you've written on or read on this topic. And you're, you say that um, it seems rather contradictory to me to assert that the concept of race is not real, but then to turn around and use the term race to describe all of the descendants of Adam. Could you parse that out for us? What, what do you mean by, you know, when you say that, when you argue that race is real, uh, you know, what, what, what is a race? Um, why is that important to challenge critical race theory when they say race is just a social construct? Yeah, well, I'm making an attempt in the uh, book to um, define race as the Bible defines it, at least as far as I can understand. And uh, the Old Testament is full of promises to the races or to the nations. And uh, I'm pretty much, you can't always identify a nation with a race, but but typically in history, you could fairly well do that. And um, so I just decided one day, in a sense, just go through the scriptures and trace the word nation. Of course, the word race does not appear in any English translation. And so it's not even a biblical term. It's a term we've kind of created, uh, evidently, through some 
maybe Darwinism or something like that. But um, uh, I decided just to go through the scriptures and, and look at the concept of nation itself. And I, as I say in my book, there are basically three identities to a nation. One is a common language, a uh, common border, and uh, what I would call a common religion or a common God, which determines the culture of that nation, its, its beliefs in regard to right and wrong. And so uh, there are nations uh, in the scriptures, um, and the idea of race, in, in a sense, I just developed that as uh, from uh, the uh, Genesis chapter 11, where um, God created uh, the different nations and all I can, and I don't know that anybody understands the origin of the physical characteristics that differ nations. All I can conclude is that there are some were genetic changes over time, uh, but um, uh, it's fairly easy to uh, equate nation and race uh, to a great degree. I, I think. America is not used to that kind of a concept. We use the word ethnicity now because, and I think that's kind of an invented word. But typically in the past, when you speak of um, the French or the Japanese or um, even the Russians, uh, uh, even you can't talk Africans, about them right now, not the Russians. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you tended to think of a particular race as well as a nation. Uh, and that's not always true, but um, uh, very often they're very similar, at least. Uh, um, and that's where I, I talk about the Ethiopian eunuch in the Bible, and he was identified by the color of his skin and also by his, uh, uh, the place of his, uh, of his origin, you might say, um, which was Cush, which had a border and had a language and had a God. And so uh, if there is no such thing as nations, then um, much of the prophecy in the Old Testament and even the Gentiles uh, being brought into the gospel uh, loses its power and, and its greatness because God calls all the nations in a sense uh, to himself or will. Uh, being a post-millennialist, I believe that that will happen before uh, the second coming of Christ, that all the nations, not that everybody in the nation will be Christian, but the nations will uh, have an identity, and there's another word we, we use today, but uh, uh, we'll have a, uh, a connection uh, with uh, the Lordship of Christ, and we'll seek to implement the laws of God in, in society. Uh, so uh, those those promises are just so deep as you read the Psalms, especially uh, you just continually see God talking about how he was going to bring the uh, gospel to all the nations. And and so that to me would include races as well as nations. You know, in um, in Revelation, when it talks about all the, the tribes, tongue, nations before the throne worshiping and, and they're all. Uh, they have unique uh, characteristics that would, you know, be able, you'd be able to identify them according to those categories. Oftentimes, the social justice crowd uses that some, you know, weird to me, but they use that verse as if it's a, a point in their corner. Like, uh, this is, you know, why we ought to diversify our churches somehow or have some kind of a social justice program to, 
diversify elder boards or theological libraries, whatever. And um, what I see, though, in that passage is more along the lines of what you're saying, that there's going to be some acknowledgement. Uh, it's it, for whatever reason to God, this is something that seems to be important or uh, distinct. Mm -hmm. He wants to categorize people out according to this. And then it gives him glory that the diversity of the people that that are before his throne. So it's not a matter of um, uh, on, on this in this temporal world, trying to achieve some kind of a quota at your church or your denomination so that you can reflect what the church in heaven looks like. And then and then turn around and say race is just a social construct. But, you know, it doesn't matter, minimize it so much. But actually, uh, th this would make make it as you said, identity, I think it, this, this makes that identity important to people. And, and it, it, it's one of the things that defines who we are. Uh, and, and so with, with that, and I'm getting to the question, but I was uh, last Sunday, right? I go to a very diverse church, ethnically speaking, and it's not because they tried to do it that way. It's just, they preached the gospel. Mm -hmm. The people in the area showed up. It's a diverse area. And I went out to lunch with some folks after church. We had um, some folks that Japanese, Japanese, German, uh, you know, myself and my wife. So, you know, you have your Scottish, your German, your Eastern uh, European represented in that. You, you, we had a guy who was half black, half white, a guy who, who was black. You know, that's that's the church I go to. Those are the people I'm with. And, you know, I don't it's not like um, that's that's something that's a barrier to any kind of fellowship. It's not. But it's also something that I'm like, I don't think we have to pretend like you know, my, my friend who's Japanese, right. Is not Japanese. Like it's like he is and, and his cultural, right. he is a culture that's, uh, right. that, that that's important to him. Things that are important to him aren't as important to me and vice versa. And that makes us who we are and it makes it fun. It makes it unique. And, and I like that. I, I, I think that there's some diversity that, that we can appreciate in that. Why do you think though, the way that I think I feel and probably the way you feel about this, well, why do you think that becomes such like a, a hot button issue, like to even to, to even say that there's more than one race, to, you know, the human human race, which there is, you know, in one sense, one race, human race. But to even say that God has separated people uh, through the Tower of Babel, that there's different kind of people that you know, we I don't know. I, I, I there, there's just this sense that I get that people are they really want to shoot for this like kind of. Uh, none of that stuff exists. It, it's, you know, minimizing it so much that, and they're afraid if they say it, it almost like they're, they're racist or something. I, I don't get why that is the case, but it seems like it is. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think that part of that is because individualism has become more important than corporateness. And maybe that's a Baptist Presbyterian balance there, but, um, uh, I think in America, it's, it's, it's individualism has become kind of the, uh, the idol and the idea of corporate, which includes family, uh, nations and, and race um, has become kind of secondary. So it's really, it's, it's, it's like, you know, baptism, for example, in generally when a Baptist looks at baptism, they see individuals who make a public profession of faith, but a Presbyterian will see not only the individual, but he will see the, the family of the individual. He will look at the corporate group 
uh, even as maybe as much or before he looks at the individual himself. So it's kind of a uh, uh, an American individ individualistic spirit has conquered this nation, and we think in terms of um, of um, uh, pieces instead of uh, instead of groups. I, you know, we're the melting pot, and so we try to deny the existence of um, uh, of groups. Uh, group has somehow become rather um, uh, an unspiritual uh, thing. Uh, and so um, uh, theologically, I would see it as an individualism uh, versus a corporate perspective. And America is the, is the great experiment in individualism. Uh, and historically, though, uh, in history, uh, nations and corporate groups uh, were uh, as important, if not more important, uh, than individuals. Uh, you know, you, when we, we want to conquer Britain for Christ, for example. Well, that's not something we talk about much anymore. <laughs> or we want to conquer Africa for Christ. I remember hearing that as a kid, when I go to like a, even a youth rally, they would say, they would say a country like we're, and they would say exactly what you're saying. I don't hear it anymore. You're right. I never thought of that. Yeah. It's, and, you know, America is, as I said, uh, pretty much an individualistic nation. You uh, we're all independent, separate entities, and we've lost the concept of community. And, and as I mentioned in, that's one reason I was drawn into the Reformed Presbyterian position was because uh, in my own experience with my own family, for example, um, all my children are in church, all my grandchildren are in good Bible-believing churches, and I, I, I see not only my own conversion, but I see that the impact I have on uh, generations to come, I see the group. I see the family. And so I think we were so overwhelmed by this individualism that we have to almost negate anything that speaks of a corporate nature, which includes race and which it would include nation. And America is proud of this being a melting pot of uh, all nations. And so we, we become multitude of individuals uh, that's held together by democracy, for example, and not by our uh, heritage or our gen genetics. And I think there is such a, I think it's a theological issue at root. It's individualism versus corporate uh, perspective. And um, I think America, as one man wrote, and I'm not degrading Baptists. I have many friends who are good Baptists, but we live in kind of the American Baptist culture where we, we do, even evangelism is individualistic, and it is individualistic, but our goal is to capture whole families. And right. that's strange to modern evangelists. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, even, even the way we think about evangelism is determined by individual versus corporate nature. And uh, I, I think that's theologically, that's the background of why we're, uh, we, we think that all nations should be together in one church building. 
And I've been in churches too, where we had Hispanics and blacks and whites and, and we all got along just fine. There was no problem whatsoever. There was no tension. There was, this was before critical race theory. And uh, so I have no problem with that, but um, uh, I just think theologically, we, we, it's almost become sinful to move outside of the uh, realm or the format of uh, the form of individualism. Yeah. Do you understand what I mean? There? Yeah. Well, we, I mean, we have a Korean church down the street, you know, and, um, you know, I think they have, I think they have a service that is in Korean and then another one I think may, might be in English, but there's a cultural and, and a family connection that people have that go there. And I have no, you know, there's no, I'm not thinking like, Oh, they're, you know, they probably would welcome me if I showed up, but you, yeah. you know, I don't have a problem mm -hmm. with, with that happening um, at all. I don't think there's a, a sinful um, it's just people who tend to share a lot of things in common similarities as far as their culture and, manners right. habits language all of that they, they tend right. to associate with one another it's always been that way um but we but what you said it just made me think of you know we've gone kind of from a neighborhood you know someone who lives in the neighborhood to community right to now development you know you just <laughs> someone in the development and it, it mm -hmm. seems like that um even those terms show that there is a lack of uh the, that corporate nature and the woke have in my mind they have seen an opportunity here or to because because humans are naturally we're not made to be lone rangers we we need to be um we have we need support emotional support spiritual support we need to be part of a group and have a place of belonging and so they've kind of crafted this uh critical race theory being one of these things the identity politics and the, the idea that race is a social construct, though, it destroys the cultural elements, really. There's really, it's not like, you, you, you're not saying that your race is is a uh, is attached or there's a connection to a culture that is rich, that confers identity. It's more of you have a power, like a, a level at which you sit in, in a spectrum. And, you know, you, other people who are just as oppressed as you share something in common with you. So it's like it's it's really one of the most flimsy uh, glues to make a community if you're trying to build that to, to make it stick together and be cohesive in my mind you, like but they're actually trying to, to build something along those lines for political purposes, whereas I, on the right, I think the cr cr critics of critical race theory, unlike you, have tried to just kind of downplay any kind of corporate nature that it doesn't matter at all that. Uh, we're all just people and that's, that's the thing. And it's like, well, you know, we are, but there's more, there's, there is more than that. Uh, that makes us unique. Maybe the are. breakdown of the family has necessitated this, uh, union of, of various backgrounds in, in one, in one place, uh, used to be the family supply of the strength and the, uh, the aid and the help and the identity. And, and, you know, that's why we, we do uh, ancestral studies. We 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 use our DNA to find out uh, where our great 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 grandfathers came from. My uh, uh, I have an ancestor who was in the um, well several who was in the American Revolution who came here in America in the late 1600s. Uh, uh, I have ancestors who you know fought in the Civil War, and um, uh, my wife is pretty much an amateur genealogist, but it's just her thrill 
to make connections with the past uh, and with groups, uh, with uh, where did they come from? What nation did they come from? You know, not that it's going to change much for me today, but uh, there is an identity there that that gives me some comfort. But well, it uh, confers where I came from. It, it does confer, I think, uh, uh, like when you know you're a man, <laughs> it confers a sense of duty, obligation. There, there are things attached to that that you know how to act because of that. And I think that it's this, it's similar in a way, like if you, if you knew, so I, I have ancestors that go back to, uh, you know, my last name's Harris, the found, the founding, founding of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I have ancestors that go back to the pilgrims. Uh, they migrated South, but they, um, when I know that when I, cause I have an uncle who's big into genealogy and he he's told us a lot of these stories. It, it does create in me a sense of stewardship for, you know, hey, this is the country we've been in for a while. We're pretty invested here. And it doesn't mean someone else who's just arrived can't also have a sense of stewardship, but there is a, a deepness mm -hmm. to it that I have. And um, and wanting to pass that down to my kids too. I, I really, I want them to know where their grandfather came from and right. how hard life was during the depression. And, and, you know, those things really help a family stick together. Uh, if all we watch is Marvel movies, <laughs> You know, and we don't know the stories of our yeah. families or our country or our local area or any of that, then we're just not going to have a, a very, we're going to have a shaky foundation by which to relate to one another. Um, yeah. One and, of the blessings I had was I was able to talk to my grandfather who was born in the 1890s. And uh, now I have grandchildren who will be living, you know, into the 2000s, 50s, and 60s. And there's, um, what, 100, um, 200 years span there that I can connect the previous generations with the future generations. And wow. I just feel like that's an obligation that I have uh, as, a, as a man uh, to, um, uh, to show the, the connection and, and what we have inherited. The providence and, of God, yeah. Yeah, the providence of God, and and I was born into the family that I, I you don't choose the family you're born into, and so I mean I was born in Appalachia, which in some ways was a um, uh, a minority group, uh, rather poor coal miners, and um, and I'm proud of that in a way. Um, uh, it's my heritage, um, and so um, I just think it's important to. Uh, to see the connections with with family and the past and 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 uh, it's it's important for identity purposes. Now, let me let me ask you a question along these lines. And I know just so people understand, this is not you only spend a section on this. You, you talk about a lot of other things. I'm the reason we're spending more time is because I think you have something unique to say about this. Uh, let me ask you this question: What about this idea that in the church is found? everything as far as your identity you, you don't need anything really outside the fact that you're a christian that should be the only identity that is of any importance to you and your connection to other people should be either uh along the lines of they're my brothers and sisters or they need to be my brothers and sisters and i should evangelize them because that's what i see a lot more of today and, and i and i will be honest i do see it with some people who they don't seem as interested in, in passing down uh 
any kind of, of culture uh, to their children. They, they seem not all of them, some of them perhaps, but but I have seen examples of this where it's just the only identity is the church. And then, and, and then when you have a kid who doesn't receive Christ, it, it's almost like they're alienated from the family. And it's sad to me. But, you, you know, what, what do you think of that objection to what you're saying? Well, um, and uh, again, biblically, um, I think that uh, we, we don't lose our uh, identity in the family as, as we come into the church. I mean, just looking at the family itself, um, my children come into the church with me. And um, um, so I'm a man, I'm not a woman. <laughs> There's one diversity right there. I'm a father. I'm not a child. That's two diversity uh, situations right, right there. Um, I'm white. I'm not black. Uh, that's another diversity that we can't change. It can't be changed. And um, I think the the whole concept of, of spirituality we have to re, re look at again. Um, spirituality does not deny the physical in this world. The, the problem of, of the world is not uh, spiritual versus physical, but the problem of the world is um, is uh, sin um, and, um, and and in a sense God's law. Um, it's not it's not a physical. The physical is not bad. It's not a bad thing. God created us physical. In the resurrection, we're going to be physical. And so there's a physical element that's a good element. God created the creation, which is uh, physical. And so, um, you know, even from the Old Testament, you find Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You find a covenant. You find a, uh, uh, the importance uh, of the family. And, and again, as a, uh, as a Presbyterian, I believe that when adults came into the church, they came in... Um, as families, and so um, uh, one does not deny the other. I mean, both are important. I think we do have identity in Christ. We have, I have an identity with a certain church, uh, but I live six days a week <laughs> uh, as a, as a maybe as a CPA and as a father and um, uh, as somebody uh, is a hunter or a fisherman and. Uh, uh, so uh, as a sportsman, I have uh, I have many identities. Uh, unity unity does not nullify diversity. It, it doesn't in the Trinity. That that was the whole point in my uh, writing on the chapter in, in the uh, on on the Trinity on, and equality. Unity does not nullify diversity. We should celebrate unity in Christ, but we should all celebrate uh, diversity as God made us differently. Hmm. Yeah. And, and, and he put us where he wanted us for such a time as this in the locations, in the families, uh, with the skills and abilities, not everyone can play instruments. Not everyone can right. speak other language. Yeah. So, you know, even in my own, you know, I have two brothers and they can do things I can't do. My one can pull right. apart an engine. Right. I can't do that. You know, one can right. uh, speak right. multiple languages. I, I decent at English. So, um, we should celebrate right. what they can do and not be jealous. Not be jealous. Or, right. God gave us different qualities and abilities. So, so I mean, I, I've encouraged 
people. In fact, I was just recently doing this uh, with a family that, and I, I was trying to encourage them, like, you know, look into your, your family history, get the stories from your, your parents, try to let your children know kind of who they are. And, and it was just, it was beyond Christianity. I know their parents weren't Christians, but it was a way of just, you know, seeing what God had done to bring them to the point that they were at part of the, you know, history is his story. Right. And, um, and so when, when I, I, when I look into the mirror, even, you know, I I'm seeing generations, I'm seeing really thousands of years of God making decisions or uh, in his providences, in his decree, uh, moving like, like a feather down the river, you know, things along to the point of where I am now. And, and he's, and he's done that with everyone. And, and that's, it's an amazing thing to think about, I think. And it really gives him credit. And, um, and so I'm, I'm actually glad that you put something about this in here and I'm sure more could be said and I'm sure others, uh, but, but the thing is you, you're the only one that I know of who has actually said this in one of these books. And I've read a bunch of them myself too. Yeah. So mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I do appreciate you acknowledging that that stuff is also important. Uh, and, uh, and, and just cause you, you know, love your, your family and stuff doesn't mean you hate others. I think, you know, that's people assume that sometimes and it's kind of ridiculous. Right. Um, in fact, if you don't love your family, I don't know how you know how to love others. <laughs> it's kind of right. starts mm -hmm. at home. Uh, other things you say, you, you have a good section here, I think on, on the apostle Paul being, you know, would he be identified today as a racist or a Jewish nationalist? I, I got a kick out of that. Uh, and, and yeah, with, uh, in Titus one, you can talk about the way he kind of stereotypes, uh, the, uh, Cretans and, um, yeah, to our ears today, man, he uses very strong language there, language that we would probably never use today. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, we would, we would not say such things. I don't think. Yeah. It, it just reminded me of you know, the Bible is up for cancellation, really. Like this is so out yeah. of step with the way we yes. think today and if right. we're going to be christians right. of the word with coming persecution then we, we have to just stick with what it says we have to be able to say you know what i'm with paul on this i, I yes. and that's going to be harder and harder i think as time goes on but uh very yeah. necessary uh what do you what's your favorite thing in, in this book i mean it, look it's short people can people can get through this probably in, in an hour or two uh yeah yeah. You know, what what would you want them to take away as like the one or two big points? Oh, um, well, it's it's a different pers perspective than you get in most books, and, and your book was was very good. I I recommended your book in the very first paragraph. I saw that. I appreciated book. that. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I saw. Well, you said uh, a name. You, you said uh, you put me in the same sentence as Vodi Bakum and R.J. Rush Dooney, and I, I was like, I don't. My name doesn't belong there, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought it was an excellent book. I, I read one book that, and I mentioned this on a Facebook uh, group that I'm with. That he started talking about the. Um, um, construct these um the social construct uh, that we created that race doesn't exist and i i said well as soon as i read that i put it down and i quit reading it and i'm sure there was a lot of other good things in the book but i thought if he's going there i don't need to spend my time with the rest of his book <laughs> uh so um you know i the book is written to as i say to the the man in the pew who doesn't have the time to read the larger books, uh, maybe to uh, help them to 
to go to other books and get more detail. I don't really mention anything about any individuals, what's going on in the Southern Baptist Church or the PCA. I don't, I don't mention any names or, or movements or anything like that. I just simply try to, I try to work from a little bit of a theological, biblical perspective. For example, the, in the chapter on race, I, I quote uh, several uh, passages from Paul in, in the New Testament when he used the term uh, nation uh, and to define what a nation is. And a nation is not just um, a group of individuals, but a nation has a common boundary, a common language, and a common uh, religion, typically. And I mentioned in the early part of the book, I think that America has adopted democracy as basically its religion. And democracy is a fairly neutral idea. Uh, it's, it's like a knife that somebody, a surgeon will use a knife in a different way than a murderer will use a knife. It depends on the context. And I think that democracy worked well in America as long as it was a Christian nation. And I'm, it wasn't a perfect nation, but you can go to any town and look at the steeples that are, especially here in the South, uh, and in our downtown, uh, we have Church Circle, which has four steeples, you know, in one in one circle. Uh, you can see the impact of, of Christianity on our nation, and democracy works well when uh, there is a Christian culture. But if if the Christian culture dies, democracy uh, becomes a hijack and becomes a weapon, actually, to use against the Christian. I, I really believe that democracy today, the bottom line is being used in essence as an attack on Christ. And that's a strong statement, but I'll stand behind it. <laughs> it's, it's an attack on Christian values today. And an attack on Christian values is an attack on the Bible. And it is an attack on Christ himself. And I and I, in the book, I try to define uh, religion in terms of um, ideals like, or idea, ideology like uh, Marxism, uh, democracy, and Christianity. I could define it as three different religions. And, and that's different. People don't think in those terms today. Uh, Marxism believes in the God of equality. Uh, democracy, apart from the Christian faith, believes that 51% of the people determine what is right and wrong, in essence. And But Christianity believes that the Bible determines what is right and wrong. And so what we have is we have, there we have three conflicting religions, and we've come to worship democracy, which is really a republic in the United States, but the idea of participation by the people. And it's worked well until the church began to decline. And so now we have a democracy is being used as a weapon uh, to attack Christ uh, by attacking his church. Mm. And again, that's a strong statement, but I would, I would preach, and I have preached on those things. Uh, I have several years ago, I preached on critical race theory before it was even, uh, people didn't even know what it was, but uh, wow. Uh, I believe that it is ultimately we have to start seeing it that way, that it's an attack, it's a weapon 
that is being used to attack the Christian faith. And the sad thing is, is that the critical race theory is a subset of Marxism, neo-Marxism, and it's being adopted by the church, many in the conservative church. And so they don't see the results. They don't see what it's going to mean in a generation or two. I've just yeah. preached a little sermon there, so... <laughs> that was good that was good yeah. stuff you know i think you're right the impact is has yet to be seen right. it's it popular to talk about it right now but it's the kids in school in 20 years that are going to start running the show that will right. actually bring about what the changes that uh you know the marxists have implemented in the school so it's uh and it's a scary thought we have to trust god through that but um you know, I, I feel as though for me personally, it's been the last, I don't know, four years or I don't know, maybe a little longer than that last five years or so I've been kind of on my own. I don't know what, I don't know say journey. It sounds so esoteric, but I, I've been kind of figuring out some things or it, things have been dawning on me that I, I took for granted or, or just didn't think about and how unique those are. And, and one of them is that Hey, I care about my family. You're right. Um, I right. I'm proud of who I am and in a good way, right. I, I there's an mm -hmm. identity conferred in that. Um, uh, I see there's a natural order to things. I've always just assumed that, you know, as a Christian that God, right. Uh, right. works through his providence, but he has certain boundaries and ways he set things up and there's a created order. And that is, that is just unacceptable in today's world. It is so out of step with a culture that wants to, uh, see people as individuals who can just reinvent themselves all over the place. And the, yeah. the only constant is that there's power. Power seems like it's the only thing that really, uh, you know, changes from person to person maybe is, is the, the, where they fall on a spectrum. So it's um, if you're going to believe what Christianity teaches and that in a God of order, uh, then you are going to be a rebel. That's how you're going to be viewed at least in today's yeah. culture. And you just have to be accept that you have to be okay with that. And, uh, and so it's been enriching though, to realize that the depth, how, how God has, how amazing God has actually made this world. It's not flattened into just oppression or uh, power or, you know, some, some one commodity like that. It, it, there's so much more to it. God has put so many things out there, uh, even things to enjoy, but, the, the true diversity, not as the social justice warriors advocate, but true diversity is a beautiful thing. And that's got to be an answer. And I, I think you kind of hint at that. That's, that's got to be part of the answer Christians have to this, mm -hmm. that yeah. you're robbing humans of something. You're, you're not looking at right. humans as being made in the image of God. In fact, you're, right. you're stealing something that belongs to them. And, and, and if you embrace God, and his plan and the way he created us. And then there's a, there's something rich about it. So um, anyway, yeah, I, I appreciate you uh, putting that out there and, and, and where, where can people find it if they want to read critical race theory in the church? Well, it's on Amazon and uh, right. it's also on, you can uh, go to Ken Gentry.com. Ken Gentry is uh, pretty well known. He's, he's, he's a, friend of mine and he publishes all my books okay i've just written three but uh yeah that's where you can get it so yeah and i would say for people if, if you know someone who doesn't really like reading or who's just not very academic right, perhaps right, just wants right. to know the basics you know this this is kind of a good book for that 
Uh, you write in a style that just sounds like you're having a conversation with someone. It's not, it, you know, you don't have citations everywhere. It's, it's just a yeah. personal conversation. So um, anyway, yeah. thank you for being willing to talk about it. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Well, God bless. Thank you very much. big money on your outdoor project now at menards we have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat right now all fvp lawn and garden and marine batteries are on sale through may 5th check out our entire selection of fvp batteries today and view our weekly flyer on menards.com for more great deals Save big